John 8 and verse 31. I want to pick up sharing with you. Just wanted to remind you. I went through some of these things in a, in, with some folks in a discipleship class, but just taking a fresh look at them at my own heart. And, and this is a serious message. You know, so much. Think about Christianity and what people, what are the ideas and the concepts that people have in their mind of Christianity? The only way or the concept, I should say, that people are going to garner of Christianity is according to the message and how it's preached. However you preach it, that's how people are going to understand it. And if you present Christianity as a, a get-rich-quick scheme or as a solve-your-problem uh, philosophy or uh, uh, just uh, uh, go-to-heaven philosophy or, or get forgiveness of your sins, uh, whatever type of, of religion, then that's what people are going to get an idea. That's the kind of, of uh, concepts they're going to form relative to being a Christian. What does the world understand about Christianity? What they understand about Christianity comes from observing how you and I live and how we walk in our life. And if our life is not true and we're not demonstrating true Christianity, then the world's not seeing it. They're not seeing it and they have no concept of what it really is. And so I want us to look again because this is our job. You are to be a disciple. You're always a disciple, all right? From the day you got saved, like it or not, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that just because there's no other option, the day you got saved, you became a disciple of Jesus Christ. There, there's no way to be in Christ and not be his disciple. It doesn't happen. You became a disciple. And the idea is for you to get to the place you never cease to be a disciple, but you can become a discipler. Now, you're not going to be a disciple the day you get saved, all right? You got to be perfected. You got to grow. You got to mature. You got to come to a place to understand the purposes of Christ. I was going through the class this morning and talking about that, that place where they had come to the place they knew who Christ was. Christ told them, He said, or asked them, Who am I? And they said, Thou art the Christ of God, or another version, not version, but another gospel writer said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Luke records it a little different than Mark, a little different than Matthew, but. The fact is, is that when they, when they record this, they knew who Jesus was. And then Jesus turns to them and says, don't tell anybody. Who do you say I am? Oh, you're the Christ of God. Don't tell anybody. Well, now that changed after his death and resurrection. Now he gives them a commission. Go tell everybody. Now go tell the world that I'm the Christ. Now go tell the world that I've risen from the dead. Now go preach the gospel message. But he told them, I don't want you to tell that right now because they didn't know. They didn't have the rest of the story. It wasn't yet put together. But now the gospel is together and the command is to go. You have got to be involved in the discipling process. People have got to come to the place that they understand you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So you need to be following examples and you need to be an example. And as you mature, you need to be in a person to whom someone else can mimic Someone else can imitate their, your life. What is it to be an ex, uh, a disciple? John 8 and 31. Jesus then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, 
If you abide in my word, then ye are or are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus says, my logos, my message, my word, that, that my, my central message and theme that I'm preaching, if you abide there and you stay there, he said, then you're my disciples indeed. You cannot be a disciple of Christ if you're in and out and up and down. You got to get in his message, receive his message, and embody that message, embrace that message, and say, this is now who I am. And Jesus says, there's something you're going to learn. You're going to know truth. You're going to come to know truth. Or you're going to know truth, and that truth is going to make you free. I preached a lot about that because it ties over to Romans chapter 6 and, and 7 and 8. ties into those chapters and the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and the truth that they would know as a result because in this passage of Romans 8, the freedom is from sin. But what I want you to understand is that a disciple is one that walks in truth. This is how God guides you. This is how God leads you. I, I cannot emphasize this enough. I really can't. We were talking about it in our Bible school. This is the chief thing about you that you've got to have to make it. If there's anywhere in your life you're willing to compromise the truth, you're done. The devil's going to find it. He'll pay the price. He'll paint the picture. He'll lay the trap, and you're done. How well do you do with truth? Do you recognize it? Well, Brother Woods, how am I going to recognize truth? How am I going to know the truth? Well, he says right here, if you abide in his word. Are you at home in the Bible or is it strange language to you? The idea of abiding is the idea of being at home with something, being able to live with something, being comfortable with it. Are you at home re referencing the Bible for everything you need to do? Are you comfortable in going to the scripture and building your life on the scripture? Are you constantly seeking advice and counsel from the Word of God or you just do what you think is best? Do you believe that the Bible has something to say about every decision you make and that everything that you do or is it just verbiage and sermonizing and just go to church and that's what we hear? And I like to have it so I can shout at it. I like to have it so, you know, it cuts me. I like it this way. I like it that way. And you get steak served 35 ways. But I'm going to tell you, you can serve steak 35 ways, but I'm telling you at the end of the day, what I want to know at is do you come for nourishment or just the joy of the experience? Are you at home with it? Are you at peace with it? Do you feel the sense that this word, I want to know what the word says and I want to apply it to my life. Walking in truth, how well do you do? How well do you do when the truth comes to you? Here's the thing, you see, I don't think there's any problem recognizing truth because truth has with it the witness of the Spirit. You just need to make sure that you have surrendered to Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you, and that you have surrendered to the truth that He is Lord and He'll reveal that to you because I believe that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth and He will witness the truth to you. You'll not have any problem recognizing it. Recognizing it is not our problem. Submitting to it's our problem. You know the truth. It comes to you and hits you and you fear it and in your heart of hearts you know that's right. But it's going to cost you something to bow to it. How well do you do then? 
When bowing to it means a change for you. When bowing to it means repentance. When bowing to it means that you've got you to turn some things around in your life. When bowing to truth means you've got to go make an apology. When bowing to truth means you've got to admit you're wrong. How well do you do with that? How well do you do with being corrected? It's very easy to look at someone else and say, man, they need to receive the correction. It's another thing when I'm on the other end of the whipping stick. When I'm on the end of the whipping stick and it's coming across my back, it's my pain now, it's my shame now, it's my embarrassment now, and I'm telling you, that ends up being a different story altogether. How many ways can I say to you, walk in truth, make certain that what you are is what you are. Make certain that what we see in church is what you are in your house. Make sure that we don't see some kind of contradiction and, and inconsistency in your life wherever you're at. Make sure that who your children see when you are in the church service is who your children see when you're at your dinner table. Truth is the only thing that's going to save you. You've got to lay hold of that and you've got to search for that at whatever cost it is. The Bible says buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth and sell it not. That's John, or, or that's in the book of Proverbs, but John 8, his disciples walk in truth. If you're going to be my disciples, you've got to stay in my word and love truth. John 13 and 35. John 13 and 35. And he says this. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. This is the, the passage here. that This shall men know that you are my disciples. Wow. Jesus was marked by how he treated people. He was marked by how he dealt with people. And he said, how you and I treat one another, how you and I love one another is going to be how the world recognizes you as my disciples. The world should see that in the church we treat each other a specific way. And he says, I want you, by this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Verse 34, I'd like to read with it. A new commandment, he said, I give unto you that you love one another. But notice, this is not really a, it is a new commandment. It's not so much the commandment to love because that's in the Bible. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But again, loving your neighbor, and each of these are neighbor of the other. So loving your neighbor yourself is, is, is a, the commandment that's a bold. But what a part about this is new. Loving one another is not new. But loving one another as Christ has loved them is new. Because Prior generations never saw the love of Christ. Prior generations never experienced how God upon the earth would walk and how he would treat. How did he love his disciples? Look how he put up with them. Hey, sometimes they embarrassed him. He withstood it. He had to take up for them. Sometimes they said things that, that I know, or now he was, and he would say it. How long do I have to bear with you? Really? I'm trying to tell you to beware the leaven of the Pharisees and you guys think I'm talking about bread. Are you kidding me? Don't you know I'm talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees and not actual bread? There were times he got a little put out with him. He comes off the mountain and they couldn't cast the devil out of the boy. I'm not fussing at him. But Jesus said, how long am I going to put up with your unbelief? How long am I going to put it up with you? Let me ask you a question. How many of you are aware that the Lord has been long-suffering with you? 
You know how much God's put up with us? How many times has the Lord had to say, Dan Woods, how long have I got to suffer with you? I'm going to cry out, can you make it a few more days, Lord? <laughs> could, you, could you make that, give me another week? Could you give me another year? Could you put up with me a little longer? Please, Lord, I'm crying out because I want you and I need you. That's who he does. That's how he loved them. He loved them. He cared for them. He direct. He met their needs. He helped them. He took care of them. And Jesus said he forgave them, right? He's constantly, constantly dealing with their, their idiosyncrasies. And then they come to him. I mean, just, just they come to him one day. Hey, I want to sit on your right hand and your left hand. Can we do that? They thought they jumped the gun. They beat the other disciples to it, man. Ah, come on, we can't do this. We can't do this now. And the moms got involved too. And so mama's boys, and they come up there, James and John. Hey, I would like for one of my sons to sit on your right hand in your kingdom and one of my sons to sit on your left hand in your kingdom. And you can kind of see, we beat you to it, boys. <laughs> we got him first. Yeah. Now, I, I, I don't, if it had been me, my natural reaction is, is that I would have wanted to smack them upside the head about right then. Not Jesus. What patience he demonstrates. Well, that's not for me to give. That's not for mine to give. That's, that's for the Father. He'll decide that. But uh, I'll tell you something. He said, you're going to have to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. And you're going to have to, you know, drink the cup that I drink. You're going to have to live my life if you want to enjoy my future. So we can do all that, Lord. I don't think they knew what they were saying. We can do all that. Jesus was ever patient, but he was never a compromiser. By the same token, it wasn't, it wasn't hatred or malice that looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. No, that was truth. That was letting Peter know, that's a wrong course and you better change it now because it's devastating. That course will kill you. That's not the voice of God. That's the one, someone that's savoring the things of man. That's the voice of Satan. I've heard that voice before. Can it right now, Peter, and turn away from that? That's going to take you down the wrong road. It's love that will give that kind of warning. And yet when Peter denies him, it's the look that Jesus gives that draws him back in. I'm telling you, he loved his disciples. He loved them. John chapter 13, at the beginning of this very chapter, says he loved them and he loved them to the end, the Bible said. He loved them to the uttermost, to the outer limits, if you will. He loved Jesus to the very limits as much as he could. I'm telling you, Jesus loved Judas. He cared for Judas. He reached out to Judas. He tried to keep Judas from going down that road. I'm telling you, God, if you fail, you will trample over the love of Jesus Christ. If you backslide, you will have to do it spitting on the hand that loves you and is reaching out unto you. If you are going to be a disciple, you need to know something. Jesus loves you, and that love you've received, that patience, that long-suffering, that forbearance, that Jesus Jesus Christ has given it to you. You've got to take it and show it to each other. Yes, man. It was, it was brother, brother Messer's been doing a, a series on it, A Perfect Love, and just going through it again. I was just, I was looking at myself, and, and we've done it and preached it, but go back and do it. I challenge you to do it. Go back and do it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and put your name in front of every one of those 16 characteristics and just see how it sounds. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Just try that. Daniel Woods suffereth long. Daniel Woods is kind. I'm telling you, go back through that. Measure yourself by that standard. 
How do you change this? How do you help this? We're disciples. We have to be perfected in love. How do we, how do, we do that? See, sometimes we get, we, get, we get the wrong concept of this. Love is a fruit. You can't produce it. Okay? Not this love. This is God's love. This, this is the fruit. You can't produce it. Understand? Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So I'm telling you, we look at these characteristics. Love is not puffed up. Basically, love isn't proud. Just take that one. It's real simple. Every one of us are conscious of a sense, hey, we're supposed to be a humble people, right? Meek and lowly. That's who we are. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on being more lowly. And so what we do is that, you know, we try, we make sure that when we, t- we talk to people, we kind of guard ourselves, And when we're praised, we're cautious about, you know, we want to be humble. And, and, we, and, we, and we try to really watch our manners and how we talk. And we really, you know what you're doing? You're building pride, not humility. Because pretty soon you're going to be proud of your humility. And then you're going to look at others because you were able to stand back and, and you didn't say anything. Or you were able to stand back and you were very careful and cautious about it. And you didn't, you weren't boisterous and you didn't project yourself and you were arrogant. And then you saw others that weren't mine. And then you thought, oh, how proud they are. They should be humble like me. Don't tell me that's how it happens. Because you don't become humble by seeking humility. Humility is a byproduct of love. God is love. People who are filled with God's love are humble people. If you would be more humble, you must know more love. The reason you are proud is because you have self-love instead of God's love. And when you try to produce the humility, it's going to be self-humility, self-abasement, self-righteousness, self-love, and it's going to produce pride and not biblical humility. So how do you find it? How do I get those characteristics? How do I have that humility? How do I have that kindness? How do I have that long-suffering? How do I get that controlling of my emotions so that I'm not easily irritated and provoked and easily angered? How do I get that? Get more love of God. Don't try to produce it yourself. Sow to the Spirit and let the Spirit of God produce it in you. Let the Word penetrate your heart. Give yourself to God and ask Him for a fresh baptism of the love of God. Say, God, pour your love out of my heart. And as God transforms your nature, your humility and control will be the result because the fruit will be in your life because the Spirit is producing it. But when you try to produce it, it'll produce self-righteousness and self-exaltation. You can't do that. It's like folks trying to seek joy. I want to be happy. So they try to buy a new car. They try to have this pleasure. They go here and they go there. I want to be happy. And, and, and they go from you know, moments of this little pleasure to that pleasure. Because happiness is not an end in itself. It's a byproduct. If you're going to get the byproducts, you've got to get the product. Joy is a byproduct of peace. Peace is a byproduct of righteousness. You want joy, you got to get peace. You want peace, you got to get right. 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 Go ahead. 
if you will live right, if you will be in reconciled to God and you will be obedient to his word, if you'll treat other folks as you ought to treat them, if you fulfill your responsibility, I'm going to tell you what's going to come out of that. A clear conscience and a peaceful heart. And you know what's going to come out of that? The joy of serving God. Hallelujah. The joy of serving the Lord because when the world is in chaos, you've got peace because you are right with God. And I'm going to tell you, buddy, you have more joy than in the time that they're wired and their corn is increased. You will have the joy of the Lord filling your soul. But joy is a byproduct. It's not an end in itself. You don't get happy by seeking to be happy. You get happy by living right with God. And that's why people, they're trying to overcome various things in their life by seeking that particular thing. And you must know maybe what you're seeking is a byproduct of something else and you're stabbing around the edges instead of getting to the central thing. Whatever you're struggling with, quit trying to overcome it in your own self. Love the disciples as Christ has loved us. Ask yourself how Christ has loved you and give that to someone else. How many of you know we live in a negative culture? Pretty easy for it to get a hold of you, isn't it? Oh, you probably already know this. I don't have to tell you. That, that's, been a, that's been a struggle for me sometimes. It's very easy to get negative in this culture. Some of it deserves negativity because it is negative. It is what it is. But it's very easy. It's very easy to bring that into the church and get negative at the people of God instead of reaching to help and to hold folks up. Love one another. John 15 and 8. John 15 and 8. This is, I'm just talking about what it is to be a disciple. A disciples love one another as Christ loves them. Build love. Get a fresh baptism of love in your life. Have God perfect you in that love. John 15 and verse 8, he said, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. And this is somewhat tied to the other one, but here is the idea of abiding in Christ, being at home with Christ and loving Him. And that's what we've got to do with people. Now, let me tell you something. It's very... It can be very difficult for us to get the cart before the horse. We live in such a uh, in-your-face, without shame, no-no-shame culture. People dress grossly immodest. They make, they do things to their body that are abhorrent, treating the body as if, if it was a nothing but an automobile, paint it up like you want it, beat it up like you want it, drive it like you want it, wear it like you want it, whatever. Instead of seeing the sacredness of the body that God has made and given to us and It's very easy when we look at what it is to be a disciple and we look at this business of you, you look at someone and where they are living by the world's fashion, 
their marriages are wrecked, their, their homes are wrecked, they're, they're, they're so convoluted in their lifestyle and the order of their house. And then you know in the kingdom of God there's an order in the home, husband, wife, children, and here's a home given to feminism. And you know that here's, here's in Christianity, we live, our dress standards are by the word and not by the world. Hello? Be careful about that one in this church. I got to warn in this church every now and again. All right? You might want to check yourself before that mirror. Are you seeking a righteous appearance or something you think fits? Or are you seeking to do what's right? Who are you seeking to please with your clothing? You, you, you ask that. You ask, is God pleased with me or am I pleased with me? Anyway, that's another horse of a different color. Anyway, so here we are that you look at them and you think, here's where they got to get to and here's where they are. Ain't no way. I mean, they're all living this way and living, used to live in that lifestyle and all dolled up and, 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 and then here we are preaching this kind of message. Of commitment and, and holiness and right. Ain't no way in the world. We look at that and say, how can they get from point A to point B? Well, let me tell you something. That's why we're working with Christ, number one. And sometimes if we're not careful, we're too concerned about us getting a few things right on the outside before we ever get them right on the inside. I don't want that. And it's hard today. Because I'm telling you, people are that that the, the lifestyles are so messed up. They're so far from God. It wasn't that bad years ago. Years ago in this in our culture, people already knew it what, things that they were gonna have to give up when they come to God. Now they don't know half of what they're gonna lay down. Right. Not half of it. But we know. And I'm gonna tell you something. The first thing they've got to do. And we tell people there's certain things I don't even like to talk about up front with them. Because if they have a question, I'm going to answer that question. But I'm going to say, hey, look, if God's dealing with you about that, then you need to listen to God and you need to let him deal with you because he will deal with them. I've got to trust that, Brother John, because I know that it's not only foreign to sinners, it's foreign to church people today. I preach a, a standard of living holy and dressing holy and walking holy. It, it means nothing in most churches. They have no concept of that. And, and the world certainly have no concept of it. And I think, man, if you, if you just let up on that, it'd be a lot easier for folks to get saved. No, it isn't any different. When you get saved, you got to give your idols up. When you get saved, you got to turn to Jesus Christ in some way. We've got to get them to understand. you got one problem. Priority, buddy, and that's this: love Jesus, love Jesus, get in Jesus. With Him, you can do. Without Him, you can do nothing. You've got to live your life in Christ, and I'm telling you, Christ will take that life and shape it. And you preach the truth as God says to preach it, and they'll hear that truth, and it'll make them free. But we've got to get the priority straight. Get people loving Jesus. And he'll deal with them even on a lot of that stuff. But that's why if it's a majority of the way the church is, you see, the people come to Christ and they don't have any conviction because the church has no conviction on it. But God will automatically deal with sinners and they get saved and they're Christians. They'll look around and start observing. Well, these folks, well, it's a little bit different the way they, man, look how they dress. They, 
What in the world's going on here? And they're going to do one or two things. God, it becomes a basis upon which God deals with them, or else they read the scripture and God deals with them, or at some point it's going to be preached, or they're going to ask a question about it. All of that's fine, but let it come out of a heart that is in love with Jesus, not out of something that I'm trying to make them do because I want them to fit in. I don't want you to fit in. I want you to be who Jesus wants you to be, and that will fit you in because he's the one that places you in the body. He gets you here, and I'm telling you, I believe what I believe, and I'm going to preach what, what's right as God leads us to preach it, I'm going to preach it. But you need to fall in love with Christ and abide in him. As a disciple, I'm not calling you to conform to a standard. I'm calling you to be at home with Jesus. And if you're at home with Jesus, there's a lot of that stuff that will straighten out on its own. And you'll hear it in the word and you'll say, well, there it is in the Bible. I wondered why God dealt with me on that. Now I understand. If you don't do it that way, then you get a fight on your hand. Why do I got to do that? Why do I got to do that? Because you're trying to put something on that they got no heart to do. Get that heart right. Get that heart in love with Jesus, and you'll have no trouble getting them the word of God. Let it abide in Christ, and you will be a fruitful disciple. Abiding in Christ. How comfortable are you with Jesus? How comfortable are you with Jesus? How comfortable are you talking about him? When his name comes off your lips, does it sound weird? Is it awkward on your job to talk about Christ? Do you use generic terms or do you have a problem with talking about him? How about your wife? How do you talk about her? Might not want to ask that. You should never refer to her as the old lady. She might be. I don't know. Depends on. How do you present your wife to the world? That's my darling wife. That's my dearest companion. That's my love. That's my precious one. You see, a man who's ashamed to talk about his wife would say there's a problem in the marriage, wouldn't you? Are you embarrassed to talk about your wife? Are you embarrassed to talk about your husband? I mean, I know there can be some that are, you got someone, you're a Christian, your husband or wife's a wicked person living in God. You might have some struggle to, but you still be honorable as far as that goes and, and whatnot. But I'm telling you that usually it's not a problem. That's my precious wife. If, if, if that's what she is to you, there's no problem with that. What's the problem with saying Jesus is my precious Lord? Why should there be an embarrassment? Why should it sound strange? Why should it be? Well, I don't want to say that. They don't know. Well, how are they going to know if you don't ever talk about him? It's got to come up. You're at home with Christ. I mean, I, honestly, we don't have any problem talking about our trucks. We don't have any problem talking about our toys. We don't have any problem talking about these things because we're at home with those things. And that's something, yeah, the world's at home with too. Well, I know it's a little different because the world's not at home with Jesus, but we're at home with him. We don't know. We're comfortable with Christ, and therefore it shouldn't be any trouble for us to say it. Now, they're not uncomfortable in talking their junk. They're not uncomfortable talking about the world. They're not uncomfortable talking about their mess. Then we shouldn't be uncomfortable about talking about Jesus. Why? Because we live in him. The disciple abides in Christ. And I'll close with this one. You know it well, but let's flip through it. Matthew chapter 5. The disciples called to live the kingdom life. 
Read it again. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Go through it. Ask yourself how well you're doing. Look at that. Are you poor in spirit? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Look, check yourself out. Are you light? Are you salt? I appreciated the testimony of young, young Nathan. He was sharing with me. He went to, to uh, a class, an OSHA class, and he was, um, the day the young men there were quite vulgar in their talk and their speech and curse words flowing pretty freely. And then, was it day two or day three or something? The next week. So the first week he had to put up with that mess and, and the next week it all of a sudden just shut down. He asked him, what's happened? What in the world? Well, we looked you up on Facebook, found out where you went to church. And all of a sudden they quit their cussing. That's light. There's a lot of folks you could look up on their Facebook and they would never know any different in the world. That was a pretty good testimony. We see who you are and where you go to church and it just shut down. That's an impact we have on the world. Don't undervalue. Don't undervalue the presence of Christ in your life when you are a disciple. He is in you. You live with him. You're at home with him. You're comfortable with him. You're used to him. It's not strange to you. It's not different to you. But I'm telling you, when you get around them, they feel something they're not used to feeling. You don't sense it. You don't even know it. You're just there. This is the way I always live. It's no big deal to me. This is the way I live. In the but they're not used to having that. The Holy Spirit, glory to God. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. Do you think he's not going to make himself known? You can't get in the presence of a Holy Ghost-filled saint. If you're in this world, you can't get in the presence of a Holy Ghost-filled saint and not feel something. Amen. Don't ever undervalue that. And don't ever forget the impact that your presence is having on a sinful world that's far from God. And you walk into the room and you're the temple of the Holy Ghost among idols. I'm telling you right now, buddy, it'll reach out. Because when you put the Ark of the Covenant in the house, Dagon's going to fall on his face. The stone idols, they may be stone, but they're coming down. They're going to bow before the king of glory, the supreme God of all the earth, is not going to be in the house and not make his presence known. And we got to be full of the Holy Ghost as we go out into this world. Let this world see we are light. Why? We're a city set on a hill because Christ lives in us. Literally, he lives in our lives. Woo! Don't ever, ever, ever underestimate that. You be filled with God. And when you get around others and they start getting antsy, you know what's going on. They're feeling uncomfortable. You need to just start praying right there. Pour it on them, God. Pour it on them. Let me be your voice right now. Whatever you need me to do, I'll be your voice. I'll say something to them. I'll deal with them. I'll, whatever you want me to do, you guide me. I'm your disciple. I'm your disciple. And I'm here to preach the gospel to a lost world. Going through this, I'm not going to go through all of it, but just measure yourself by it. The righteousness of Christ. 
that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. The lust, the, the, the standard of grace that exceeds the law and goes beyond it, that goes to the heart of the matter. Look at that. Are you having any problem with anger? Are you having any problem with lust? Are you faithful in your marriage? Are you able to bear insults? Do you tell the truth regardless? Do you have to have some kind of oath or put your hand on the Bible to make sure you're going to tell the truth? Are you able to, to give more than is required? Or are you one of those persons that measured out and say, well, that's all I got to do and that's all I'm going to do? That's not how we live. He said, if they compel you to go a mile, go two. They ask for your coat, give them your cloak. You know, it's, it's, it's a fact of the matter is, is that we are a people that are going to give and expend ourselves. And we're going to be made perfect in love. We go to chapter 6 and he deals with this idea of a single heart towards the Father. And your prayer and your giving and your fasting is your eye single. That verse, I was looking at it again in verse 22 where he said, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore, listen to this, this part of the verse. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. What do you mean by that? If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And the light, the lamp of the body is the eye. And so you've got, if your lamp is messed up, listen to me. Light is something that comes, the lamp of the body is the eye. And I've, I've taught you this before, but here's your eye. It's a lamp. It's an interpreter of the light. The light enters the eye. Light. And then the eye uses that light to interpret the world that's around it. So light is in, if it was a pitch black room and, and I had no light whatsoever, my eyes wouldn't work. I'd have to use my hands to feel my way around and see what is this because, you know, trying to find something. I just have to feel my way around and go very slowly and very carefully. But turn on light and then I can immediately look in the world around me. But if my lamp is distorted, if my lamp in my eye, if it's evil, if there's a the distortion in there, you can have real light coming in. True light, pure light can be entering that. But it gets distorted because the lamp is messed up. Pop my contacts out right now, buddy, and I'm in a heap of trouble. I mean, I'm in a heap of trouble. You can have perfect light entering in. You can have everything right as it is, but I am going to misinterpret the world around me, not because the light is wrong, but because my lamp is wrong. My interpreter of the light is wrong. Now, the point is this. If you've got someone who's got their interpreters bad, they're prejudiced, they're called, they call her everything. they got a particular way of looking at things and they're not going to change that. You can preach truth to them, but they will so twist that truth and make it even worse so that the light that in them becomes darkness. How great is that darkness? Even when you have pure truth entering and coming to the mind, you have pure preaching, but because you've got a prejudice that's gotten a hold of the mind and the interpreter is all messed up, it makes it even darker because they have to twist it and they turn it and they pervert it and it becomes all distorted and then it's harder to get it right because they've taken what you've said and they've twisted it and warped it around and you can't hardly get it straightened out. 
because their lamp is wrong. I can have four people in a room preach the same gospel message across the church. I've had it before, and I've had people going away, and you can have 80% of the church, and I'm just throwing something out here that I've seen. I don't know exact numbers, but you can have a whole bunch of folks in the church that go away because their interpreter was right. Brother Woods, that was a great message. That ministered to me. That got a hold of me. That touched me. And then I got this crowd that goes away and say, I'm, I'm upsetting him. I can't believe he said that. And he was thinking this, and he said this, you know, and he felt this way at me, and this and that. Their lamp was all messed up. It was the same light. It was the same message. It was the same gospel. But somebody had their lamp right and the light opened up a world to them and said, hallelujah, that's right, glory to God. And the rest of the world got mad because their lamp is messed up. And how great did the darkness become in them because they took true light and so twisted it that it became false. That's what our world is doing, man. They'll twist it around and it becomes false and, and, and terrible. And all the way down, he talks about this idea of a single heart, of a single eye, a single heart. You can't serve two masters. Having your heart single. And down in the chapter, uh, and not being fretful over the things of life and, and just taking the things day by day, and, or the things of life, I should say, and, and seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I mean, ask yourself that. Do you seek God's righteousness or yours? Do you seek the kingdom of God? Do you ask yourself in every situation? Well, this is what I feel I should do or what is right to do. Well, why am I going to do that? Because it's the right thing to do. Well, that's not going to be easy. If you do that, they're going to blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm sorry. They may, but it's still the right thing to do. You do what is right. And then he comes down about judging one another and, and getting everything corrected and all of this plays into this business of being disciple because this is the kingdom life. And he comes down and summarizes the whole thing that he's preached in 7 and 12. This is a summary. Remember how he started it off and said, I've not come to fulfill or to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Remember that? I've not come to destroy the law and prophets, but to fulfill the law. And he tells us how that is done in chapter 7 and verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's how he began the sermon. He gave the, the Beatitudes, and then he looks at them and says, Don't think I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but fulfill. And then he goes and gives us the standard of the law, uh, uh, the grace that has come that takes and gives us the spirit of the law, not merely the letter, but Christ gives us the spirit of the law. And in the letter says, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the letter. The letter says, thou shalt not kill. But the spirit of the law is, don't lust. The spirit of the law is get anger out of your heart. Get a right spirit and you'll have no problem keeping the letter. And, 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 and he goes through that and he tells us the idea of, of true religion and true prayer and true fasting and true giving. It's not so than is done for the praise of men, but a life that's directed towards God that wants nothing to do but to please God. And, and so this idea of seeking God and his moral standard, how do you do that? What's the essence of God's righteousness? What's the essence of his morality, the law and the prophets? What's the one principle that, that the law and the prophets is for fulfilled? That therefore all things, whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do ye also even unto them. I want to ask you a question. Is that a principle that you think of in your life? You're dealing with the person, a family member, a brother, an employer. I don't care who it is, a son, a daughter, something. You've got to deal with the person. Do you ask yourself, 
Now, if I were in their shoes and I had to go, I had to have someone come to me, how would I want them to deal with me? How would I want them to talk to me? So I don't ask myself what they've done in that I ask myself, if I were in their shoes, how would I want them to treat me? And then that's what I do. I go treat them that way. I go to them. How, much, how many of you measure your life like that? Or do we just go, you know, like a bull in a china closet, straight on ahead, we don't even stop and think. We just, boo. Or do you stop and think, man, I got to go talk to that person. I need to go say something. Well, you know what? Brother Woods is up there preaching his heart out. If I was up there preaching my heart out, how would I want people to look like in the pews? <laughs> yeah. Hello? Hey, that works pretty good, isn't it? That's a pretty thing, pretty tough saying. You know, Solomon said something similar to that years before. Well, who gave it to Solomon? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I get amazed at people. They say, oh, well, Confucius said that before Jesus. Jesus didn't originate that. Hey, buddy, Jesus was before Confucius, okay? <laughs> Hello. Hello. It's not a chicken or egg thing here, all right? This is the creator of the world. He was before all. If there's any man on this world got any wisdom, Jesus gave it to him. But the point is, is that you're asking yourself, hey, if I were in this situation with this brother, and I was on how would I want him to treat me? I'd want him to do this. I, I think it'd be good if he'd do this. That's what you do. That's what you do. All things, not some things, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophet. I'm talking about being a disciple. And then he says, enter in. That's the end of it. Seven and twelve. And now he gives the admonitions about, hey, that's my message. Get in it. Get on it right now. Enter into the gate. Watch for false prophets who want to try to steer you or steer you away from the things that I've preached. And, and listen, you'll know them by their fruits. If they're a good tree, they'll bear good fruit. If they're an evil tree, they'll bear, they'll bear evil fruit. And you'll know them by their fruits. And, and you got to do my will because if you're, if you're not doing my will, you're not, uh, you're not going to make it in. And the will of the Father, you're not going to make it in. And, and he talks about and then comes down to the end of them and says, you got to build your life on my sayings. you got to be a hearer and a doer of the word. Hear my sayings and do my word. What James states later is nothing more than repeating a lot of what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. But that's the essence of being a disciple. That's the kingdom life. And I'm telling you and I want to drive it on today and right near I'm going to shut it down this afternoon. Look at it. Is this who you are? Is this what you're doing? And this is who you need to be as a disciple and a discipler. This is what we're going to, the life we're calling people to live. When we're going to out there, we're not making people Wesleyan Lights or, or Pentecostal lights. We're making them Christians, followers of Christ, and we want them to know this is what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah.